0: Good morning. Wonderful to be here with you. Calvary Chapel, so glad that you could join us. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open with me now to the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We are so glad that you could be here with us to study through God's Word. Interestingly enough, this is the last book of the Bible that we are going through. And when we have completed this book, we will have completed our study through the entire Bible, which has lasted 11 and a half years. So welcome. (laughs) Thought we'd end with a good one. (laughs) Song of Solomon, chapter three, with a message entitled, Looking for Love. Beginning in verse one by night on my bed. I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets, in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother into the chamber of her who conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Shall we pray together? Lord, what a joy to be able to declare today that, Lord, we're no longer prisoners. Lord, but we have been set free. And Lord, your word says, "Whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would speak to us, Lord, of your love, and that we would understand it in a greater degree, Father. It would affect the way that we live. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the clear and obvious themes that is emphasized throughout this book of the Bible is love. <laughs> in our own culture, we hear this word love used in different ways. Songs have been written about it. Television, movies seek to portray it. Yet in many ways, love has been reduced to something far less than what God intended it to be. Sometimes it is a word that is easily said, but rarely understood. People often try to define love only in terms of romantic euphoria. However, the word love generally is used so carelessly that its meaning it can become diluted. The truth is, love. Can often be used to describe other emotions or strong feelings that one may have. Using the word love can sometimes save you the trouble of having to figure out what you're actually feeling. I could say to you this morning, I love coffee. I could say to you, I love my dog but I feel much differently about coffee and my dog than I do about my wife. And I think that she's thankful for that. But sometimes we just throw that word around. Time Magazine, interesting, came out with an article that suggested it's time to change the meaning of the word love. The word is mostly used according to its first definition in the dictionary, which is an intense feeling of deep affection. In other words... Love is what one feels, and it's true. There are emotions involved, but love is more than that. Love is an act of the will. It's a decision that one makes. In Koine Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, the New Testament was translated into Greek, the Greeks had four words that they used for love, two of which are actually in the Scriptures. The first word is the word storge. It meant a natural affection between family, those who were brought together by a common bond, natural love between a child for his or her parent and a parent for their child. It is amazing how deep that love between child and parent can be. Nothing can move you into action so quickly as your love for your child. Now, although the word storge, as well as eros, is not found in Scripture... The opposite of the word storge is found. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, the apostle Paul refers to perilous times that would come in the last days. And he said that men will be astargos. It means the opposite of loving. It means unloving, without natural affection. Another word that is used, this one in scripture, is the word phileo. It is a love between friends, a strong bond between people who share common values, interests, or activities. An example of true friendship in scripture would be seen in the relationship between David and Jonathan. It says concerning their friendship that they loved one another as they loved their own soul. They were deeply concerned and cared for one another. When the apostle Peter was being publicly restored to the ministry by Jesus. Jesus asked him if Peter actually loved him more than the rest of the apostles. And Peter responded very honestly by saying, Lord, I phileo you. I am fond of you. Having close friends to walk through life with is truly a blessing from the Lord. This word Phileo is found throughout the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, for example. The apostle Peter said, finally, all of you, be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. And then another word, and this one used in scripture, the highest word for love is the word agape. It's a love that serves regardless of the circumstances. Some would call it unconditional love often described as the greatest of loves. It doesn't refer so much or is rooted in attraction. It's not cold religious love, but it's truly altruistic. Loving someone that you know may not love you in return. It's the love that God has for us and that we are compelled to have for him, for ourselves, for one another. It's found throughout the New Testament. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is a choice that one makes. It's more than a feeling. This agape love may may be found in romantic love, but it's not limited to or encompassed by it. It's a love that the Bible speaks of that far uh, more resonates with the love exemplified in the life of Jesus when he died his death upon the cross. He died. Because he loved us. He was willing to sacrifice everything, even if those who he died for did not respond to him and reciprocate that love back to him. That's the kind of love we're talking about here, this agape love. And if we as a people, as a culture, are really going to understand what love is, we have to begin with God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. In his character, in his nature, who he is, it describes him. Most everyone wants to be loved, and most people want to love others in return. And yet, if we're truly going to love, it has to start with God's love. You remember Jesus was asked by one of the scribes in Mark chapter 12, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, and he said, first of all, the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the greatest commandment, to love God and then to love others. You could really sum up the 10 commandments, the two tablets, love God and and love others, that's what the Bible says. And I want you to understand something. This is not a suggestion from the Lord. It's actually a command. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another, and listen to this, as I have loved you. That's pretty powerful, John chapter 15, verse 12. This wasn't a suggestion. This was a command. Granted, there are some people that are easier to love than others. Those that love you, it's far easier. But Jesus said, what is that in comparison to others? Even those in the world love those that love them. But it's really something when you love, knowing that perhaps you may not be loved in return. Here in our text this morning, the love between Solomon and the Shulamite woman had grown. Their love for one another had been declared. They are moving toward their wedding. And the closer they got to their wedding day, well, the more exciting things became. Do you remember that? Maybe you're in that place right now. It's exciting. Every, I mean, it's what you think about. It, it can affect your eating. It can affect your memory. It can even affect your sleeping pattern. Such was the case with the Shulamite woman. As the third chapter opens, it opens with the recounting of a rough night's sleep in what appears to be the retelling of a bad dream. This is a dream that she had. It's being recorded for us. Look once again, would you? By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I didn't find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city and the streets and the squares. I'll seek the one I love. I sought him, but I didn't find him. The watchman who go about the city found me, and I said, have you seen the one I love? Now, there are two ways that I want to look at this particular dream. And this is the first interpretation, and then I'll give you the second. We're not told the reason for the bad dream, but in reading the description, we come to find out there were some obvious concerns and fears on her mind. She was looking for the one that she loved. She didn't know where to find him, which tells us something. In that moment, she felt very alone. Being alone and being lonely are two different things. You can be alone without being lonely. At the same time, you can be lonely in a crowded room, even like this. Loneliness is a state of mind, an emotion that can be brought on feeling by feelings of separation from other human beings. The Hebrew word for loneliness, translated desolate in the Old Testament, means one alone, one who is solitary or forsaken. And there is no deeper sadness that comes over the mind than the idea that we are alone in this world, that we do not have a friend, that no one cares for us. When the Lord was creating the world, back in the book of Genesis, it is recorded, the things that he created, he declared they were good. This is good. That is good. This is very good. But at one point, he said, this is not good. That man was alone. And therefore, he made a helper comparable to him and brought the woman to the man so that he would not be alone. This fear that was keeping the Shulamite awake at night is a fear that many people have today. If you are single, if you are unmarried, not in a relationship, but perhaps you have a desire to be, this can be a very real concern. I cannot find my love. I've gone on the internet. I cannot find my love. I've asked people to set me up. That didn't go well. I cannot find my love. I'm searching, I'm looking, and I'm getting up in years. I'm a little concerned because all my other friends have been married and I've been in all their weddings and I'm sick of all these dresses. I'm going to burn them. I mean, it's just this discouraging thing that you go through and you get a little overwhelmed by it and you begin to be afraid. Perhaps for the Shulamite, some of her fears of not being able to find the one she loved may have been rooted in her own insecurity that we read about in previous chapters. She's wondering, is this wedding really going to happen? Could the king, does he really love me? Or am I just believing that he does? Is it really going to take place? She was worried. There are many in scripture who at times felt alone. David, I think, is a prime example of this. In some of his psalms that he wrote, he penned his feelings. In fact, in Psalm 25, in verse 16, he said, Turn yourself to me. Have mercy on me, for I am alone and afflicted. David was honest with the Lord. He said, Lord, I feel very alone at this moment. But yet he turned to the Lord in the midst of that loneliness. The real answer for David is when he came to realize his only hope was found in God. Even though everybody else would forsake Him, the Lord would never forsake Him. Perhaps this morning you came in here feeling very alone. The cure is Christ, His promises made to you that provide comfort and the assurance that you need. Finding your security in His perfect love for you, taking hold of His word as an anchor to your soul, that's the solution. I love the words of Jesus, some of the last words that he ever spoke to his apostles before he left. He said in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the recounting of this troubling dream, the Shulamite decides in the middle of the night that she will get up and go out and search for the one that she loves. The fear that she had, led to frenetic action. Rather than wait until the morning when it would be safe to go out and look, she goes out in the middle of the night in darkness. Look at what it says. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I'm emphasizing I for a purpose here. Granted, this was a dream, that she's recounting. But I do believe there are some applications that can be made and worth mentioning. Notice how many times the word I is used. I'm going to do this. This is what I said. I love me. You know, it's basically she's taking matters into her own hands. The Lord knows your desire this morning to be in a meaningful relationship but there are times in waiting on God to fulfill the desire of your heart that you can grow impatient, you can grow frantic, and you can take matters into your own hands to the point that it becomes less about what God is doing and more about what you're doing. It becomes less about what God wants and more about what I want. And that can be a dangerous place to be because I don't always know what is best for me. I think I do. I could even convince God and I have scriptures to prove it. Lord, you said this, so I think this applies here. And I I can tell God all the reasons why this would be such a good idea when it may not be his best for me. Can I encourage you this morning, if you are in that place, if you are, listen, Psalm 37, look at this verse and be encouraged this morning. Listen to what it says. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of him, it says, who prospers in his way because of the one who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Some important words in those few verses like trust, like delight, like commit, like rest, and do not fret. God knows your desire. God knows the needs that we have even before we ask him. There are those who are looking for love and they end up looking in all the wrong places. Sadly, they often end up with the wrong people. Notice where she goes in the middle of the night. This doesn't sound like a safe place for a young woman to go. I'm going to go into the city. Uh, that's a little dangerous. I'm going to go into the streets and look for my love. Ah, eh, Probably not the best place to find the one you love. I'm going to go into the squares. I, this is what I'm going to do. Rather dangerous to go out into the night looking for someone. And again, there are people that do that. I'm gonna go out into the city and find the one I love. I'm gonna go out to a bar and discover someone who will love me for the rest of my life. They probably won't be thinking clear and not be able to see straight, but I don't really care. You know, it's just, why would you do that? And people make that mistake. of going out into the nightlife. Don't be silly. Don't be foolish. She goes out in the middle of the night, but I want you to see something. She doesn't find him. In verse three, she found the watchman who goes about the city, verse three, found me. And I said to him, hey, have you seen the one I love? In her dream, the Shulamite asked assistance of the watchman of the city. And notice this, he doesn't give her a reply. No answer. There's no answer for her. He doesn't know what to tell her. He's the watch guy. He's not the matchmaker. He doesn't know where her love is. Now listen, the Bible does say there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But sometimes you can go to people instead of going to the Lord looking for the answers and you might miss what God would say to you. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask people for their godly counsel, but make sure you're seeking the Lord, seeking his word. The watchman could not help in this case. But notice what happens in the next verse. She exhausts all of her resources. She looks everywhere. She can look, the city, the square. She just can't find, she talked to the watchman. He doesn't know what to do. It's a, okay, fine, forget it. I'm not looking anymore. Think <laughs> get the next verse. Scarcely had I passed by them, When I found the one I love, I held him and I wouldn't let him go. When it says scarcely, had I passed by them, I found them, it's almost as if she's on her way home. She's given up the search. I'm done trying to find my love. I'm just going to go home. And guess what happens? Her love shows up. She was least expecting it. I just passed by. there he is no way. I did not expect you know that's the amazing thing about the Lord when we learn to be content where we are and where God has us in this season, isn't it wonderful how the Lord brings a surprise along when we're not out searching for it? God just has ways of providing when we've committed our desire to Him when we're trusting in him, not leaning on our own understanding and that doesn't just apply to relationships that can apply to other areas of life as well. You just come to this place where you say, you know what Lord? I don't have the answer. I've tried this. I've knocked on that door. I've called those people. I've emailed these people. I sent that resume out. I just don't, okay, done. You know where I am. I've done everything that I can do. So you're ready to let me do it now? Okay, Lord, fine. Yeah, go ahead, do it. If you want to do it, do it your way. And he does, and he shows up in ways that we just do not expect. After she had been searching, finally, what a surprise that the one that she loved was right there, and she was so thankful. She took hold of him. Now, this is one way to look at this particular dream. And I like it. I think there's some good application. But I want to suggest maybe just another way that we could look at this particular dream and make application. And here it is. Remember that the Shulamite knew she was loved by the king. And that awareness of his love for her sparked several things inside of her own heart. And when you and I know and experience the love that our king has for us, it sparks something within us as well, such as desire, a desire to seek him. It says again in verse one, by night, I sought the one I love. I sought him. I didn't find him. Earlier in this book, the future groom had called her out. You remember, he said, come with me. I wanna show you some things. And it doesn't say that she went. He told her about it and encouraged her to come, but, but she didn't go on that particular occasion. But now she's here and she's thinking about him and thinking about his love. And you know what? She desires to seek him out. She wanted to be with him. She begins to pursue him. The, the awareness of his love sparked desire to seek him. Have you ever been in that place as a Christian? You're just aware of the fact that God loves you the way that he does, and what does it do? It sparks a desire, a desire to seek him. Maybe for some of you, that's what happened. You were tired of the emptiness of this world. When the party was over, you're all alone, and you sense the emptiness that that none of those experiences could fill the void within your heart, and you heard the invitation of the king, perhaps from a pulpit like this or maybe from another friend who encouraged you to seek the Lord, and that desire, once you knew that he loved you, you, I I gotta seek him. I gotta find this out for myself. You know, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 29, in verse 13 and 14, it says this, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. The Lord is not hiding from you today. You can't find me. No, nope, I'm not there. Ha! No, that's not the Lord. The Lord is saying, I'm here. I want to reveal myself to you. If you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jesus encouraged us to seek. In the Sermon on the Mount, you remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open." That's an invitation for us to seek the Lord. And he promises that he'll reveal himself to us. I love Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a personal life verse where the Lord declared, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Friend, let me ask you, are you aware of the Lord's love for you and has that prompted you to seek him? And do you seek him? Not only did she have a desire to seek the king, but also there was a determination to seek the king. Nothing was gonna stop her until she found her love. She would not rest until she had found him. She said, I will rise, notice the word now, She's not procrastinating. She's not putting off, making it a priority to seek the king. I'll get around to it when I feel like it. No, this is something that was a priority to her. She is responding to his love. She's determined to find him. And I think there is an exhortation for us even in this. Not to put off seeking the Lord. To seek the one you love. And moreover, the one that loves you. Be determined about it. Fight off the urge to sleep in. Overcome the lethargy, the apathy. Seek him in the word. Seek him in prayer. Seek him through fellowship. And understand this. There will always be obstacles. If you have a desire to seek the king, if you have a determination to seek him out, to know him better, just understand this. You will always be opposed. There's a real devil and the last thing that he wants you to do is to seek the king, to receive instructions on how to impact this wicked world of darkness. And so you're gonna be opposed. She said, I sought him, but I didn't find him. She sets out to seek him, and initially she, she can't. She doesn't know where he is, but she's not going to stop. There are obstacles standing in the way, but that's not going to stop her. She doesn't even get a response from the watchman. I don't care. I'm going to keep going. Sometimes you, you face obstacles when you seek the Lord. It is amazing to me how that you can sit down to seek the Lord in prayer or seek the Lord through his word, and immediately you remember all of the things that you could not normally remember in that moment. My pastor used to always say he would take a notebook when he sat down for time of devotion and prayer, and he would write down all the things that he could never normally remember in that moment because he remembered them. He'd set them down and continue. The devil knows, hey, you need to make that call. Hey, by the way, you also have this. Hey, your kids need to get to school. Hey, the dog needs to be walked. Hey, have you done the, you know, and all of these things happening and just coming together at one moment to stop you from seeking the king. And you have to overcome those obstacles, and it's worth it. It's interesting that in verse four, when she finally found the one that she loved, I I love this, it says she found him and that she held on to him and would not let him go. I believe that it is important for us to hold on to Jesus, to hold on to his word, to hold on to his promises that are our strength. But you know what I've discovered? It's not so much I found him, but he found me. And it's not that I'm, I'm holding so tightly to Jesus. Actually, you know something? He, he's holding on to me. He said, no one can take me out of his hand. I belong to him. He's holding on to me. My, my grip can be loosened, can become weak, but, but he doesn't let go. It reminds me of when my children were little and we would take them to the store and you would always say, listen, we're going to cross the street now. We're going to go into the store, and, you know, you need to hold my hand. And, and kids are, you know, they hold your hand. They think they're holding your hand. But in reality, you know, and I do, we're really holding on to them. There is nothing that could pry this child out of my grip. I mean, I, I'm going to hold on to them no matter what. I'm not going to allow anything to happen to them. I'm going to walk them across. We're going to get there. We're going to get home. We're, we're going to go through. I'm going to be there. That's how I see the Lord with me. He's just holding on to me. He's holding on to you today, friend. Again, maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like I, I, my, my grip is loosening. I'm just, I'm, the obstacles are overtaking me. Listen, he's got his hand on you. He's aware he loves you. I want to ask you this morning, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? In Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 5, Jeremiah posed this question. Do you seek great things for yourself? And then he responded with an exhortation. Seek them not. What are you looking for? In Isaiah chapter 55, verse six, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When it comes to looking for love in relationships, wait. wait on the Lord. He'll provide in his time. You just concentrate on being the right person. And in God's timing, he'll bring you the right person. He knows where you are. But when it comes to seeking the king, don't let anything stop you. Press in, run after him, pursue him. In verse five, it says, there's an exhortation here. As the dream comes to an end, she wakes up and she says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, don't stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. She exhorts the young girls, hey, a couple things. Do me a favor, keep me accountable. We're not married yet. Boy, do I want to be with the king, but hold me accountable. Make sure I don't blow it before the wedding day. She's encouraging that exhortation. "Don't, Don't arouse love before it's time. Awaken it until it pleases, until it's the Lord's will for your life. And when it is, wonderful. But until that time, be patient and wait upon him. Now, in the very next few verses, as this chapter concludes, you'll find that the dream ends and reality begins. A, this is like the wedding procession. This is what's about to take place. It's actually happening. She was so worried, so troubled. Is it going to happen? And she wakes up. Is that going to happen? It's happening. And the king is coming. Look at what it says. "'Who is this coming out of the wilderness "'like pillars of smoke "'perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? "'What with all the merchant's fragrant powders? "'Behold, it is Solomon's couch "'with 60 valiant men around it, "'the valiant of Israel. "'They all hold swords, being experts in war. "'Every man has his sword on his thigh.' "...because of fear in the night of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palaquin. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart." Here comes the groom. His scent precedes him. She's like, "Do you smell that? I smell myrrh. I smell I smell frankincense. <gasps> it's Solomon, he's coming for me." She sm- she she knows she she recognizes her senses are being exercised. She can see, she can smell. He's on his way. He's coming. And she begins to describe this Amazing entourage as he's being carried in, and these fragrant powders all around him, they're coming out of the wilderness. He's surrounded by valiant men. There is protection there. They all have swords. Nothing's going to touch her. The king is coming for her. What a beautiful fragrance comes from the king's presence, and he's coming out of the wilderness. By the way, the wilderness in scripture, it's used in two different ways. One, it can be a time of testing, a time of refining, as was the case with John the Baptist and even with Jesus before he started his public ministry. They were in a season in the wilderness, and then they came out of the wilderness. It also can be likened to a time of correction, as with the nation of Israel. God wanted them to go into the promised land, and because of their unbelief, you remember they wandered around in the wilderness. It was a time of correction. But here you find him coming out of the wilderness. I love this. Here she's worried, she's troubled. She's coming out of the wilderness. Here comes the king. He's coming for her just like she had anticipated and was so concerned about, and she's going to be protected. The enemy's not gonna be able to touch the bride. She's protected. She's protected. There's swords on their hips. They, They are completely surrounded. She's encompassed. There's no problem. She is protected by the king. I love that. It makes me think of the Lord. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The Bible says there will be weapons formed against you, but they won't prosper. There is protection found in the Lord. Even when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I love when it describes also what had been provided for concerning the bride. Did you notice this? pillars of silver, support of gold, paved with love. In the Jewish culture, you probably, some of you might know this, when you were waiting to be married, you knew that it was just a matter of time before you were to be married, but the groom would actually have to come for the bride. She knew the timing, at least she was aware of when he was gonna come. She didn't know the exact time, but knew that that there was a day coming, and so she had to be ready. The groom would come, and he would come for the bride, and she would be ready, and then they would proceed from there in a wedding march, as it were, and he would take her back to his father's house. They would have a celebration. They would have a a time where for seven days, they would just celebrate the marriage supper, as it were, with friends and family, and it was just a wonderful time of communion and fellowship with everyone. Here is this bride. She has been waiting. She's been worried. She's been concerned whether he's coming. He comes for her. And he begins to take her back. And I want you to see something. This is very significant, I believe. And that is, it says that the pillars were made of silver. Did you know in scripture that silver is the metal of redemption? It's the metal of redemption. You can find it in the Old Testament. Gold is the metal of deity, of glory. Also, purple is the color of royalty. And I love that it's paved with love. Now think about this, folks, if I may. Think about this. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're troubled, bride of Christ, about what's going on in this world. You find it very troubling. And maybe you have moments where you think, is he he really coming? Is the king really going to come for us? And the answer to that is yes. And when he comes, isn't it marvelous to think, Redemption, it's complete. Power, glory, his deity. Royalty. The Bible says that when we are taken with our king, that we're gonna enjoy the marriage supper of the lamb. And the Bible also says that he will make us kings and priests, and we shall reign with him on the earth. Royalty. And I guarantee you, that time, that season, eternity, It will be paved with love. What a powerful picture this is. So you don't have to be worried. We don't have to be troubled. The king is coming. We see the signs. We're aware of the fact that these things are are taking place all around us, and it's just a matter of time before our redemption, as it were, is complete till we see his power and glory, and we rule and reign with Christ for all of eternity. Jesus said, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. It's just a matter of time. He is coming. May God help us to be looking, expecting the return of the King of Kings. Look for love. Look for the Lord. And you'll find everything that you need. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how grateful we are this morning for that unfailing love. Lord, it goes beyond our ability to comprehend. Lord, you're so good. Lord, I pray today specifically for those that perhaps feel alone. Lord, it's a feeling that many of us have experienced from time to time. Lord, we live in this world and something that can come upon us, Lord, sometimes unexpectedly. But Lord, I want to pray today that you would remind those in that place that they are loved, Lord, and supported and cared for. And as you're here this morning, I just sense the leading of the Holy Spirit that if that's you today, and again, it takes courage to stand in moments like this. It's not required, but if you feel, hey, you know what? That's kind of where I'm at. I've kind of been in that kind of a season, and I just, I'd like prayer. I just want you to stand today. I just want you to stand. I want you to know that you're not. Good for you. Anybody else today, just go ahead. It takes courage. God loves you so much. Just stand. Say, man, I sensing the enemy's been hitting me hard with that feeling like I'm all alone. Just just stand. I want you to know you're not. Anybody else this morning? Maybe you're in the fellowship hall. You can stand too. God bless you, bro. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? Maybe you're in the courtyard. You can stand too. There'll be people there. Anybody else this morning? I want to pray for you. Folks, those of you who are near, those who are standing, would you just lay your hands on them? Just lay your hands on them. Just get up, stand up around them. Do you see somebody standing around you? Yeah, lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them. There's a gal right over here on my side, right here, some of you. Some folks right over here on this side. If you're in the, if you're in the fellowship hall, I encourage you to stand up. People will pray for you, and we want to pray with you. And, and we're telling you today, as your family in, in the Lord, you're not alone. We're here with you. We're standing alongside of you. And more than that, the Lord loves you. He's with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I pray those that stood today, Lord, you know what's really going on inside their heart and what's really happening in their situation. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would minister to those needs personally. Lord, that they would know that they are loved. I pray, Lord, even in this moment, that you would just Pour out your love on them. Lord, it'd be so overwhelming. They would just know, Lord, how you feel about them. Lord, from the promises of your word. Overcome those emotions. Lord, those, those, that internal battle that the enemy brings. Lord, for those widows who are among us, Lord, who sometimes can feel alone. Those um, who have gone through broken relationships, Lord, broken marriages, children who've been abandoned, Lord, and so forth. God, we just pray you minister to them. Lord, you look for the lonely, and you love them and minister to their needs. Lord, thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us today? Maybe this morning, you've never received Christ as your Savior. He died the death that you and I should have died. He took our place on the cross. He was then placed within a tomb. And three days later, he rose again from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the devil, offering eternal salvation to any person who would receive. If you will turn to Christ today, repent of your sin. He promises that he will be your savior. He'll give you a new life. You'll be a new creation. All things will be passed away. All things will become new. And you can know that you have the hope of heaven when you die. And you can have life even while you're living right now. So if that's you, I encourage you after the service today, please come forward. Allow those to pray for you and lead you in a prayer to receive Christ. You will never be the same. For others of you, maybe you have other requests, other needs. Please make sure that you make your way up today after the service. There'll be those up front that would love to pray with you and minister to you. Finally, I'd like to announce to you that this Wednesday, um, we just completed the book of Deuteronomy last Wednesday evening. However, this Wednesday, we have a very important and uh, unique and I would say special service that I would invite all of you to come to as I will be dialoguing and conversing and sharing with you and equipping you How to um, engage and converse about the subject of the unborn. Abortion is at a place now in our culture that is unthinkable. How do we engage with a person who does not have a biblical worldview? How, How am I able to converse with somebody that says it's a political issue when in reality it's a moral and theological issue? How how do I engage with somebody philosophically on this point? They don't want to talk Bible? Well, let's talk for a second from this angle and just be able to help you, make you aware of what the need is, what the problem is, but more importantly, what the solution is and how we as a church can be praying in intercession, but also standing in the gap for the unborn, that we can converse with people, not in a shake my fist in your face kind of a way, but in a godly grace with truth, and ministering to those needs. So you do not want to miss this Wednesday night, The Case for Life, as we'll be discussing this together. It's going to be a powerful time. Encourage you to come and join us for that. Also, in addition to that, and this is on a lighter note, um, we also have a celebration because here at Calvary, when we finish a book of the Bible, we have an ice cream party. It's kind of a thing that (laughs) carried over from my childhood when you (laughs) finished a book. So that is also a part of Wednesday night. But again, that's a lighter note. Uh, but just want to mention that. Hopefully that's not the incentive for coming. <laughs> if it is, you definitely need to come up for prayer. <laughs> pray you. <laughs> we won't judge you, but we'll pray for you. <laughs> so may the Lord bless you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.